Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, before we jump into the word, I did want to do one quick little business update and and uh, there's no good time to do this. It's, it's awkward no matter where we place it in the service. And so the awkwardness falls to me always. Uh, and I'm okay with that. Um, but Vision Sunday is next Sunday. Can I get a shout for Vision Sunday? Um, I, I believe the Lord is place three years of vision into the hearts of your pastors and leaders here. And, uh, and we're going to present that next week. Uh, one of the things that are part of that vision is the Freedom Project, which is our trying to complete the uh, front of the property here and put in the fields that are going to serve the community. If you were here uh, at Legacy Sunday last year, you heard from Principal Gillahan about uh, the very best thing that we could do to serve the local community here. And when we were first quoted on that project uh, just over a year ago, we were quoted at a million and a half dollars. Uh, two things have happened. Uh, the cost of materials have gone up. Inflation has increased. The cost of labor contractors uh, are in high demand because of all the building that they're doing, so they don't have to look for the work. Uh, and then the time value of money changes the worth of that money. And so what was a million and a half dollar project is now looking closer to three and a half million. And rather then, yes, <laughs> you, I fell out of my chair, literally. I'm not exaggerating. I was like, oh, God, I'm not going to make it, right? Um, but then God reminded me that he had a cattle on a thousand hills. And he reminded me that anything that he has for us, no one can keep from us. And it may not come in the season or the time or the timing that we might think it should. But he will deliver. And so... Um, Next week, when I get ready to present this, I, I wanted to do it with full transparency, full open face. I didn't want to have to obfuscate anything. Uh, I don't believe that that serves you or serves the church and, uh, or serves the, the name and fame of Jesus. And so I wanted to put that before you today ahead of time. And then if you're a member here, if you're a member, you've gone through Growth Track, you've become a member, uh, then you're going to receive an email from me this week just kind of outlining the actual details of what the architect has sent us and why he says that things are the way they are now. And that will give you an opportunity uh, to pray for these matters, okay? So that's my little aside today. Uh, I'm preaching on prayer. I'm preaching on prayer. Uh, amen. And uh, um, there, there's a couple of things that could happen here. So I want to I wanna set the stage from from the outset. Um, you could feel very guilty during and after this message. And that's not what I want for you. And I could feel very hypocritical during and after this message. Because as I've told y'all several times, I, I've, I've been nothing but honest. I love to preach and I love to sing and I love to read the Bible because I'm a nerd. Uh, but praying has always been hard for me. Praying has always been hard for me. I've, I've got ADD, uh, unmedicated. <clears throat> I have a series of coping mechanisms that have carried me through most of my life, and I intend to keep on with them until such a time as I might need some medicine. But I have a hard time sitting and praying, and yet through this fast, I'm going to tell you something. God has expanded my capacity for prayer. And so I don't want you to feel guilty, and I don't want to feel like a hypocrite on the other side of this. And so I'm telling you from the beginning that this is an uphill battle for me. 
and I'm inviting you to actually take on the battle rather than just resigning to a prayerless life, okay? So Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, just a couple of verses here. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer request and stay alert, stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me. That's the third time he said pray in these few sentences that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. He was in prison. Pray also that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Father, um, help us today uh, to be people of prayer willing to receive your word, to be challenged, pushed, transformed into something fundamentally different. And for my dear ones who are here and they're still undecided about Jesus, I just pray that you would make yourself so clear today, God, that, that we would not be an obstacle or a distraction from the work that you are doing in their hearts, whether they are here in the room or whether they've joined us in the stream. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And good morning to those of you joining us online. Uh, it is so good to see you as well and uh, grateful that, uh, that you're here. Jump in the chat and say good morning to our team there. Um, as we think about prayer today, thank you, babe. Uh, as we think about prayer today, uh, this quote from Richard Foster has been reverberating in my heart and my mind for some time. It's from a book called uh, The Celebration of Discipline. As an aside, just because I know everybody here don't know me and, and, and y'all don't know, when I said thank you, babe, that's my wife. I wasn't just talking to a random lady on the keyboard. Uh, we, don't need, we don't need that as a part of the reputation. Like, he over there calling random women babe. No, that's my wife, mother of my four children. Uh, delight of my life. Uh, but there is this uh, quote from Richard Foster that has been sitting with me, and I want to share it with you today. Uh, and, I, and I hope that this is a, a nice kickstart to this time so that you can sit and ruminate on these words. He, he writes, we are working with God to determine the future. We are working with God to determine the future. Certain things will happen in history if we pray rightly. Did you see that? If we pray rightly, we are to change the world by prayer. We Not by our vote, um, not by our financial capacity, not by our intellectual aptitude, but by prayer. We are to change the world by prayer. Now, I want to believe that very badly. I do. And, and, and though this will sound a little cheeky at first, a little cheeky, and, and, and I learned this week that everybody doesn't know what cheeky means. Cheeky is an English term, uh, and it means like a little jabbing, a little stabbing, a little poking, a little, little uh, uh, Jesus-level sarcasm. Uh, with, you know. So this may sound a little cheeky at first, but here's what I understand about us. Here's what I understand about us, is that we want to want to be people of prayer. I will, but one second. If you're a student in here and you haven't been released yet, everybody else kind of just got it. But if you're a student, student ministry is happening, you're free to go. Um, we want to want to be people of prayer. Now, I said it was going to sound a little cheeky, didn't I? Because the reality is, is when I first sat down to write this message, what I wrote as this kind of 
opening inviting statement to kind of galvanize us around an idea. What I wrote at first is we want to be people of prayer. But as I took an honest assessment of myself, can I start with me? As I took an honest assessment of myself and I took an honest assessment of our spiritual family and I took an honest assessment of the fact that there was about 20 people who carried the full weight of prayer for this spiritual family. I had to accept that this is an area for me, as I said earlier, and for most of you, that is indeed a struggle and one in which we have to pray for the want to. For the want to. We have to ask God to change our desires. Now, I promise you I'm not trying to hurt you. I think you know that. If you know me, I love you. And I only want life and flourishing and blessing for you, but I got to call it like it is. There's a steady crew, as I said, a steady crew of about 20 people who are here. Every time the doors open for prayer, they are here and they are carrying the spiritual weight of prayer for this entire spiritual family. And yet, out of the hundreds, literal hundreds that call this church home, those who follow the way of Jesus, I do believe that if you follow the way of Jesus in any way that you want to want to. I believe that. I believe that about you. And so if we can be honest today just through this message and hopefully beyond, if we can be honest today, we can accept that we want to want to be people who pray. We want to want to change the world by our prayers. We want to want to see dreams and visions so big accomplished that they cannot be accomplished without prayer. And so if that is true, then why aren't we praying? Why aren't we praying? I thought about this a lot. I thought about this a lot. And because of the way my mind works, I'm a systems person. So I think to myself, well, the system must be broken. We've got to communicate more clearly and we've got to give people more on-ramps and we've got to give them prayers that they can write down and pray and we've got to give them a pathway and we've got to teach them about quiet time and we've got, no, 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 no. No, at the end of the day, it is not your system or your quiet time or your process or your procedure that is broken. We have a belief problem. Because here's the deal. If you believe Jesus got up out of the grave, if you believe in the resurrection, and you believe that right now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of those who are called his, then nothing could restrain us from having conversation with him. We have a belief problem. I'll say it for myself. I have a belief problem. So one of my favorite verses in the Bible and one of my favorite prayers in the Bible, I know you know this, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We have a belief problem. We don't believe in the power of the resurrection. And because we don't fully believe, now I think, you know, we would say we believe, and I believe we're saved if we're followers of the way of Jesus. But it has not become a core belief to the point where it dictates and drives the rhythms of our life. We don't believe in the resurrection. And because we don't believe in the resurrection, we don't believe prayer to be our true power. 
We don't believe, we believe our intellect to be our true power. We believe our ingenuity to be our true power. We believe that our persuasion with words are our true power. We believe that the time we spent in school is our true power. The time we've invested in counseling is our true power. The time we've invested in self-development is our true power. And God is standing back saying, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, but that's not it. Your true power is none of those things. In fact, I would say it again that one of the evidences we would have if we believed that prayer was our true power is that this room would be just as full for prayer as it is for service. And that stream would be just as full for prayer as it is for any Sunday service. If we believed that the truest power we had is prayer. And I imagine that there is some feeling of conviction around this topic and even a little bit of overwhelm. And it shouldn't be that way. It's not supposed to feel that way. The thought of prayer should not bring a sense of overwhelm. It should bring a sense of delight because what prayer means is that the creator of the universe is saying, come to me, talk to me, and I will talk to you, and you will never wonder what to do with your life. shouldn't be that way. And I get it. I do. I'm not standing in an ivory tower. I hope you see that. Reading Foster's quote today on prayer out loud for what is likely the 60th time only gave me some fresh cuts. Okay. So I'm just going to tell you, Celebration of Discipline is a fantastic book, but only pick up that book if you want to grow. Because it's all kind of little daggers popping out all over the place. You don't even know you're bleeding until you know you're bleeding. You know what I'm saying? Like it was so quick. It cut me seven times in two seconds. Reading those words for what likely the 60th time, letting them wash over me, letting them probe into the layers of my heart, into the layers of my faith, challenge me again today even to ask the question, do I fully believe? I want to believe. I want to believe in the power of prayer. I want to believe that stories like Simeon in Zimbabwe's and Joe Church's story can be true for me. They can be true for us. If you're unfamiliar with this story, let me share it with you briefly. Dr. Joe Church was a British medical missionary who forsook his promising medical career so that he could submit to his missionary calling. And when he arrived in Africa, the young church in Uganda had already commissioned almost 300 evangelists. The entire Bible had been translated and widely distributed before 1910. Churches were even welcoming people across tribal boundaries, making it a truly diverse movement. Even those in power, the members of the governing council, and nearly every tribal chief was a Christian. But as is often the case, the ease with which the gospel took root in every facet of society eventually lent itself to Uganda's established churches looking less like a movement of God and more like their Western counterparts. Where very much of the church in the West has become museums and not movements. The church was in need of revival. Nominalism swept through the church nearly as quickly as God had formed it. But revival was not something that was going to be engineered. Can I say that again? Revival was not, we can't engineer revival. No, it has to be prayed in. 
And Dr. Church had been praying for some time that God would send him an African counterpart with whom he could have deep fellowship and prayer times and the ability to believe for revival together with somebody else. And God answered that prayer when Dr. Church was introduced to Simeon in Simbambi, the chief health officer. Listen, chief health officer in Uganda. And he wanted the same thing that Dr. Church wanted. He wanted a revival in the church. And so they began praying together. They began renouncing their sin together. They began to claim a victorious life for themselves together. And they began to believe for revival in Uganda. After his first encounter with Simeon, Dr. Church wrote home excitedly to his prayer partners in Cambridge, there could be a revival in the Uganda church if there was someone who would come spirit-filled and point these thousands of nominal Christians to the victorious life. Pray for this. A real deepening of spiritual life and conviction of sin in the Uganda church, and then, and then the outpouring of the Spirit himself will follow. Well, God answered these prayers. I hope you would pray those types of prayers for us. Take a picture of that if they put it up. I don't know if they did or not. Take a picture of it and you pray it for America. Put America in everywhere you see Uganda. I hope we would pray those types of prayers because God answered them. Simeon left his government job. I don't know who this is for, but let me say this real quick. Some of us are in a job and we're in a job and so we're not in our calling. And sometimes you got to leave your job to walk in your calling. Sometimes you're hiding from your calling in a job. So set the job aside and walk in your calling. I don't know who that's for today. That's, that's, the Spirit dropped that on me as, as an aside. He left his job so he could walk in his calling. He became an evangelist throughout Uganda and a prominent figure in the movement there. And then Dr. Church, having seen what he prayed for, returned to Rwanda where he was already working in a mission there and revival had begun there as well. When he recommended 5 a.m. prayer meetings for his staff, they informed him that they had already been praying for two hours before sunrise every day. Throughout the villages, it became a common practice for entire congregations to spend the whole night in prayer, in praise. And their conviction was not coming from preaching, it was coming from praying. The reason why I share this story with you is because here it is, prayer reshaped the future for entire regions and nations in Africa. Why? Because prayer was their true power. Prayer was their true power. And if we'll believe it, if we'll accept it, if we'll receive it, we will experience prayer as our truest power as well. We should certainly strategize. It's not wrong. We should orchestrate great systems that facilitate serving people and reaching people and developing people. We should communicate with extraordinary clarity and fill this stage with as many gifted and anointed worship leaders and musicians and communicators as we can find. But if we don't pray, we will not see the movement of God. If we don't pray, Believe in the power of prayer. Live as people of prayer. Individually and corporately, we will lack the spiritual power we need to partner with God in the shaping of things to come. In fact, St. Augustine said this, whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God's thirst that we may thirst for him. 
Paul certainly understood this. As he draws his letter to the Ephesian church to a close, he doesn't draw it to a close with further instructions. He doesn't draw it to a close telling them to get their community together. He doesn't draw it to a close telling them to get their evangelism strategy together. He doesn't draw it to a close telling them to get their social justice orientation right. He doesn't draw it to a close telling the preachers to preach better and preach harder and preach shorter and, and, and deal with the attention spans of people. No, he tells them at the end of this letter to pray. To pray. Now, I know we're not letter writers anymore, but I know you know the basic format, and it is usually at the beginning and the end that we put the most important thing to us. And here Paul says prayer is the most important thing. In fact, prayer is so important that Paul writes with purposeful redundancy in verse 18 at the start of this little admonition, through all prayer, pray. Now, forgive me for this statement that I'm about to say, but in the Greek, what Paul is writing literally means pray in praying. Pray in praying. What does he mean by that? What he's saying is pray in prayer continually because the struggle is never ending. Pray in prayer continually because you'll never have enough of God's presence. Pray in prayer continually because prayer is a slender nerve that moves the hand of the living God. Pray in prayer continually. Pray without ceasing, he writes elsewhere to the Thessalonian church. And pray, Paul says, in the spirit. Pray in the spirit so that your prayers might be aided and inspired by the same Holy Spirit through whom you have confident access to the Father. But why does he say pray in the spirit? Because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we pray. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit prays for issues of which we are ignorant in our own souls. The Holy Spirit is an uncorrupted line of communication to the Father. He knows the mind and the will of the Father. And therefore, when he speaks on our behalf to the Father or through us to the Father, then there is no disruption in his declaration. To pray in the Spirit means to rely on his helpful control and intercession as we speak to God. Now, I need to say this as an aside because I don't want to leave you. Unknowledgeable and crisscrossing ideas from the scriptures. You see, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Is anybody unaware of that? I know you agree, thank you. And whoever didn't raise your hand, we're going to pray that you receive them today. <laughs> I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And, and we believe that every gift that was available to the first century church is available to the 21st century church. We believe that. We believe that. I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe that there are three types of gifts of tongues. There's a missionary gift of tongues where you can speak a language you never spoke for the proclamation of the gospel. There's a personal prayer language of tongues. Paul says, I pray in the tongue of men and angels. What else does he say though? But if I don't love people, that don't matter. And then there's a gift of tongues for the church that requires an interpretation, which then turns it into prophecy, which Paul says is more beneficial for the church. Can I teach just a little bit? But what he's talking about here 
is not that. Tongues is a gift among many, just as some get the gift of healing, and some get the gift of administration, and some get the gift of preaching, and some get the gift of encouragement, and some get the gift of leadership, and some get the gift of worship, and some get the gift of evangelism. Some even, according to Paul in Romans 12, 6 through 8, get the gift of generosity. But that is not what he has in view here is the spiritual gift of praying in the Spirit. The praying in the Spirit that Paul mentions here in this particular text has to do with our depending on the Spirit to guide the words we speak. In other words, how about we ask God what to pray for before we start praying? How about we ask the Holy Spirit to speak through us before we start praying? How about we ask God for clarity and wisdom and vision and understanding before we open our mouths up to pray? That's what Paul's saying. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, and if you will, then he will come to your aid. He will intercede on your behalf, sometimes with unspoken groanings that are perfectly in line with God's will. Not only did Paul call us to pray in the spirit, but he also calls us to pray on all occasions. Prayer is an ongoing rhythmic practice in the life of Jesus' people. Prayer is not a practice reserved for Sunday mornings. Prayer is not a practice reserved for Saturday mornings. Prayer is not a practice when you find yourself in desperation. Prayer is not a practice just because you've got your back against the wall. Prayer is not a practice because you've run out of counsel from your friends. Prayer is not a response to something your counselor said that you don't like. Prayer is not an opportunity for you to get something from God in a moment where you have a need. Prayer is supposed to be a rhythmic communication with the creator of the universe who wants to talk to us. That's what prayer is. And so Paul says, pray on all occasions. Prayer is not to be forgotten in times of prosperity. God bless you. Can I be honest? Can I be honest? Is this a safe place? Can I be honest? There is... There you go, you're right. There's, there is no time that my prayer life dries up, dries up more than when things are going well. Can I, just, can I just call it what it is? Boy, when we up against the wall, we pray. Lord, you take them before I take them in Jesus' name. God, deliver me. God, strengthen me. God, heal. And nothing's wrong with any of that. But if that's the only time. Oh, when things are good. When we got life figured out. Well, then God's opinion doesn't matter as much. It's just me. I'm so, it's just me. I'm, co I'm confessing because it's just me. I, I I'm trying to get saved so I can lead you better. That's when my prayer life dries up when things are going well. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We pray on all occasions. We pray when we're high and we pray when we're low. We pray when things are well and we pray when they are not. We pray in our sorrows, oh, if I get some help here today, and we pray when we have joy. We pray in times of need. We pray in times of plenty. We pray on all occasions because prayer is our truest power. Prayer 
is our truest power. And so Paul calls us to pray. Pray for your children. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your friends, especially the crazy ones. Pray for your church. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the global church. Pray for the government. Pray. Pray and Listen, every time you feel the urge to complain, stop and pray instead. Pray. Pray for those who profess faith and for those who don't. Pray that God would do the exceedingly and abundantly that he promises in the book of Ephesians. Pray so that we might see God move in power. In fact, Paul believes so much in the power of prayer that at the end of this couple of sentences, he asks for them to pray for him also. Now, you may recall from the top of our time that Paul is in chains. What he means is that he's in prison. And, 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 and I'm astonished by this. Because if I'm locked up, what prayer am I praying? Pray that I get out. Pray that I make it through the commissary without fighting somebody today. Pray. Pray that I get my freedom. Paul doesn't ask for those things. Paul says, pray for me so that when I stand before the judge who is going to bring judgment over me, I still have the boldness to proclaim the gospel that put me in here in the first place. Pray for me. Pray for me. The seriousness of the occasion is weighing on him. And so he asks the Ephesian church to pray to move God's hands. And so here's what I invite you to today that we would be like that church and that we would put on and take up every necessary aspect of prayer so that we might do spiritual battle and stand in intercession and believe for greater things the way that God intended for his people to believe. Now, if you're not yet to follow the way of Jesus, then I understand that much of this might have felt like it had little to do with your life. And I get it. I get it. I really do. In fact, when I sat where you were sitting and, and I heard a message on prayer, the first thought that I had, and maybe you had this thought today too, the first thought that I had was, why would God want to talk to somebody like me? I'm a train wreck. But can I tell you some good news today? The good news of the gospel is that though your relationship with God is strained, God made a way for it to be repaired. We can't repair the relationship on our own. We never could. So God closed the chasm with the cross of Jesus. And he sent Jesus to die in our place for our sin so that we might wear a life that we did not deserve. That is the good news. And so if you're not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, God has already reached out his hand. He's just saying, reach out and grab mine. Because all of the work is on my side. All of the work is on his side. All you have to do is put your trust in him. He wants to hear from you. He wants, in fact, I'll tell you right now. Ask God to speak to you right now in this moment and I guarantee he will. Because that's who he is. And for those of us who are followers of the way of Jesus... Well, I think the call to us is pretty clear, wouldn't you say? That God would help us to become people of prayer. 
And so here's one step you can take that I'm going to encourage you to take. Commit to coming to Saturday morning prayer. Now let me tell you how generous I am, how godly. I didn't even mention 6.30 prayer tomorrow morning because I wouldn't do that to you, even though I would love for you to be there. What I'm asking you to do is to consider committing yourself 45 minutes to be a spiritual family who prays together because the family who prays together, there it is. Can you commit yourself? Can you commit yourself to being a part of this spiritual family and praying every Saturday morning? Now, if you think to yourself, well, I don't know if I can do that, Pastor. Not yet. Then can I encourage you to pray for the want to? Ask God to change your desires, to change your heart, to change, to change the things that you want so that you can go whole heart into seeking God together with this spiritual family. As we close this moment, I want to return briefly to the scene in, of early 1900s African revival. Historians write that the revival started small, with bands of people fanning out, praying and preaching the gospel from village to village and town to town. And in what seemed like a very short time, the revival spread until it began to touch other nations. And those who were touched by the revival, you're going to want to write this down because it's fascinating. Those who were touched by the revival came to be known as the Abaka, A-B-A-K-A, the Abaka. And what that meant, what that translated into, they became known as those who glow. who glow. They had been so steeped in the presence of God that they began to glow with the presence of God. Might the same be said of us in this city, in our communities, through this church. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would make us those who glow. Make us people of prayer who fundamentally believe that our greatest power resides in calling on your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.